from the basket in which it puts the lotion or else it gets the hose again, it's the IGN Digigods. Here are two great big fat persons, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What a great intro. Uh, Corey, which longtime listener sent that one in for us? That was brought to you by Alexander Berlika. Thank you, Alexander. Good on you over there in... Uh, in Belarus, um, Mark, that intro, of course, we're still honoring uh, the memory of James Horner, and that little tidbit is from the main theme of Krull. You know, I own, this, I own the soundtrack I to too. Krull, and I you did, did too. too. Yeah, and I always remember that as the Peter Yates film that I was... I actually worked at the theater when we played that, and I, and I just thought, man, that is one crappy movie. Peter Yates has totally lost it. He is not the man I thought he was, and then, like... Three months later, they, the dresser came out and got a pile of Oscar nominations. And you're like, how could how could the same guy do Crawl and the Dresser in the same year? And uh, and Horner did both. He did. He did. Yeah, that's right. But there's not much of a score to the Dresser. It's sort of like, yeah. But you know what? That's it. Where you where you don't put music is just as important. As that's where you put music. <laughs> yeah, but you can't give the composer credit for choosing not to write music. It's, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. no that uh, you, you, I am a brilliant composer because I saw the importance of silence then you can become one of those like twisted weird self-absorbed performance artists in New York who goes and just sits on a bench at a museum and, and that's like your art uh, no I'm sorry no it's I not disagree happening. anyway alright so uh, yes sir what are we doing uh, what are we doing you know uh, gosh Seriously, do, do you think? Let me Hello. ask you. Let me let me ask you this. Do you think that the Dukes of Hazard uh, now on any subsequent release on DVD is going to come with like a, a disclaimer or a trigger warning? It's a weird <laughs> it's, time. It's a very. You know, look. Here's the thing. Okay, we, I, we never get political on the show, but I'm no, going to say this anyway. But, the Confederate flag should not be flown over any government buildings. It should course. not be displayed no. in government anything. No. However. If the Deuce of Hazard had Confederate cars, then that's what they need to sell. Well, but you know, did did you read Lou Luminick's thing from, from in the New York Post? I, uh, oh, is that the thing about Gone with the Wind or you, something? You know, seriously. I mean, on on honest to God, you, you, at a certain point, you just want to slap people. I, I'm not a fan of Luminick anyway. I don't have I don't have a problem bad mouthing a colleague uh, that I don't know. If it were someone that I knew, I'd say something nice. But but seriously, I mean, uh, you, you know, people just people just got murdered. And you take the opportunity to basically just badmouth Gone with the Wind and, uh, and, and, and say, well, as long as we're just, you know, ripping up our, our history and uh, we're, you know, urinating on anything that has anything to do with the South and slavery and uh, the Confederacy, let's just, let's just tear Gone with the Wind out of the books. I mean, it, it's, you know, Gone with the Wind is it, irrespective, I'm not a fan of the film irrespective of what you think its politics are or any of that, that stuff. And mind you, they went to great lengths. Selznick went to great lengths to depoliticize that film. People, I don't think, fully realize that. He went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with the NAACP to make sure that the film met with their approval, that he was not making another uh, uh, Birth, of a Birth of a Nation. He just That's not what he wanted. He wanted just to give people an epic love story. He did not want it to be political. He really went out of his way. And I, I just think it's profoundly ignorant to not understand it's still a film of its time. It, 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 it's, not about, it's not about intelligent point-making. It's about no. point-scoring. Yeah. It's about point-scoring on, your, on, your, on MSNBC yeah, or Fox News or whatever. That's but all it is. You know, I'm not a fan of the film. I think it's a big, garish mess. All, every, I, I hate it for all the same reasons that I hate Titanic, because it's essentially the same movie. Thank you. But, but that said, without Gone with the Wind, we wouldn't have today's blockbusters. Without Gone with the Wind, you wouldn't have had Dr. Zhivago or Titanic or The English Patient. Uh, without Gone with the Wind, you, you know, you, you simply wouldn't have a certain kind of movie marketing. I mean, it's it's the it's the beginning of a lot of modern movie history, and if you don't understand that, you you you've shortchanged your understanding of film history and and pop culture history. That's so true. that being said, anyway, enough with that. Um, but uh, I do wonder if they're going to release the Dukes of Hazard with uh, some kind of a disclaimer. I I, I think that no. would be just outrageously be weird. It'd just be weird. I agree. I just well, anyway. All right, so uh, I'm just going to quickly blow through a few things here. We got a lot of uh, Nickelodeon kid stuff. 
Uh, my daughter watches a lot of Nickelodeon, not necessarily Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but they just keep pumping these things out. And they got some new ones for you if you are a uh, an ongoing fan. Uh, this is the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles New York City Showdown, NYC Showdown. Uh, Return to New York Parts 1, 2, and 3. Um, I guess for fans it's a big deal. Also have uh, The Search for Splinter, which is a two-parter that includes Things Change and uh, The Search for Splinter Parts 1 and 2. So three episodes including the, the two-parter Search for Splinter. Uh, which is, you know, it, it, they just, I don't know, you got giant turtles and giant rats and uh, the whole lore, I, I just, it's whatever. Uh, and then there's also Pulverizer Power, which is the, uh, it, it, it's, it, these aren't all the same Teenage Mutant, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. I lose track of which ones were created before which ones. Uh, this is a more a more recent one. This is from 2013, so it's a little bit more of a, CGI-enhanced uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. And then we got a couple of Doras. Dora is getting older, which is kind of creeping me out. Dora's Explorer Girls, our first concert. Dora's kind of becoming a tween and uh, doing a concert with her friends, Emma, Kate, Naya, and Alana. Uh, girl bands with, with uh, Dora is kind of creeping me out a little bit. Uh, the younger Dora is still present in uh, Big Little Movies. This is Dora Saves Fairy Tale Land. Uh, First time this has ever been on DVD. Can you believe it? Dora Saves Fairytale Land. Mark's been waiting oh for that for years. Me? Unbelievable. Been waiting for it for years. But my daughter does watch uh, Bubble Guppies, which, uh, you know, the little the little fish people. The little Aww. mermaids and mermen. And, and they, they're cute songs, man. They're catchy songs. I can't believe I'm saying that. But uh, this is The Puppy and the Ring. And uh, this is a little bit of an, uh, uh, you know, basically there are a few episodes of Bubble Guppies on here, like all these Nickelodeon things. They kind of throw a... a few of them on here. This includes the episode The Puppy and the Ring, which is a little unconventional, uh, a little fairy tale-ish. And then uh, Sir Nani and the Nice, Bubble Cadabra, and uh, The Wizard of Australia. So they go through the, they kind of, you know, try to they, they try to theme them together uh, in, a, in a, you know, some cogent way. Sharing and Caring is a new Max and Ruby uh, release that has uh, like 12 episodes on it. And uh, I enjoy Max and Ruby. Everyone else in my house hates it. My wife just can't stand the voice work, and uh, my daughter doesn't seem to really un- appreciate it other than the fact that there are a couple of bunnies. But uh, Ruby, they hate the voice of Ruby, I guess. Ruby, I, I think Ruby's cute, and I think Max is adorably stupid. Um, and they pretty much do that in every episode, and they learn lessons that, uh, that I learn a, a great deal from, even if no one else in my house does. And then uh, also from the Big Little Movies line is uh, Umi Space Heroes of Team Umazumi, which we just can't stand. It's terrible animation. Uh, the stories make no sense, and uh, I, I'm just mystified by Team Umazumi. I don't know who created it. I don't understand if, to what degree it's actually somewhat quasi-Japanese and partly American. It doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, I, need some, I need some help there. So anybody wants to throw me a bone? Email us at gods at digigods.com. Explain this uh, Team Umazumi stuff to me. Uh, otherwise, send us uh, emails and Vox boxes. Gods at digi- No, no. Gods at digigods.com. Well done, uh, Wade. Thank you. Uh, all right, Mark. Uh, yes, we have sir. A, we have a great deal to get to. So A great deal of what? We have television. We've got all kinds of fun stuff. So let's do... Uh, Let's start off with some television. Let's let's do the TV. Let's do the TV pile here. Yes, sir. Shall we do the TV pile? I'm going to start off and make mention of uh, Killing Jesus, which we have on Blu-ray here. Um, actually, quite a compelling uh, still that they use for the cover of this thing. Most Jesus movies absolutely drive me bonkers, and uh, this, of course, is by the. Uh, this is the latest in the series of uh, Bill O'Reilly books. Killing Kennedy, Killing Lincoln, Killing Jesus, kill, you know, Killing Patton, all the killing books. Uh, anyway, that he wrote with Martin Dugard. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to speculate as to you know, who, who does what with these books. Dugard is a very capable historian. Bill O'Reilly, obviously a, uh, a big blustery face and television personality. Anyway, uh, but all of these things, just they reek of television. And, and Kelsey Grammer, I love him to death. I think he's a wonderful actor, but he just looks totally out of place here. Uh, Rufus Sewell also looks out of place. The problem, I, you know, I think I've seen just about every Jesus movie and Jesus television miniseries ever created. And the ones that work versus the ones that don't work, um, 
it, it's, it, it's pretty easy to sort of pinpoint what it is. And it ultimately comes down to how hard you're trying. And if you're trying really, really hard to be really biblical, it winds up coming off Jesus, cheesy. And if your casting isn't right, it just it, everybody looks out of place. Um, and if you, if you just don't try too hard, if you just kind of let the thing sort of be what it's going to be, then it doesn't feel sanctimonious and preachy, and it doesn't sort of reek of, of message movie-making. And when, you're, when, when Jesus is already a character in the movie, Jesus is not a great protagonist. He just isn't. You know? He can do anything. He, he's like it's, Superman. Yeah. He can do anything. It's a, I mean, it, you know, it, story-wise, drama-wise, problematic protagonist. So that being said, um, boy, gosh, I just wish Kelsey Grammer hadn't done this. But, I mean, uh, you know, for the people who love it, they're going to love it. The people who, who are going to hate it, they're going to hate it. I, you know, it's it's good move for the National Geographic Channel. It's a good-looking Blu-ray, but, man, I don't know. It just... Uh, it's it's more historical than religious too. That's the thing people should know. They, they this is not uh, this is not like a a faith promoting uh, film, but it's also not a faith attacking film. It's just very matter of fact, and I think as a result, it's a, it's a little bloodless. But there it is. Wait, speaking of there it is, there's a very important piece of TV history that yep. uh, you need to rent, if not buy. Uh, Joan Rivers, who of course uh, died tragically, un- unnecessarily, at the age of 81. Uh, she had a number of TV shows, as we know. She had Fashion Police. She had her, uh, her late night talk show. But before all of that, in 1968, she had something called That Show with Joan Rivers. It was, was a big a, deal. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a syndicated daytime talk show on WNBC in New York. Yeah. So you can only see it there. And uh, it is a, it, this thing is great. I love this thing. This is from the good folks at uh, Topics. This is a piece of TV history that really you kind of have to own. This is 29 episodes from season one of the show. So the way the show worked is each show was themed, and there'd be two guests, at least two guests. There'd be an expert in that theme, whether the theme is uh, you know a, a travel tips or dining out or physical fitness or whatever it might be, nudism they even had. So they have, a, they have an expert, and they have a celebrity. So as an example, they did a show on manners. The expert was, of course, Elizabeth Post. The celebrity was... That, that, that great champion of, of manners, Rocky Graziano. Oh, yeah. But they had other celebrities you might have heard of. They had Ed Sullivan and, you know, and uh, Johnny Carson, Barbara Walters, Lily Tomlin, uh, Florence Henderson. This thing is great. And Joan would start the show with a monologue. And, uh, you know, again, at the, en- at the end of the day, having a female comic have her own show was, would be a big deal today, let alone... In 1968, it was groundbreaking. Yeah. So I cannot recommend enough Joan Rivers. That show. I with miss Joan her. Rivers. I do. She was annoying me for for a moment, but uh, did you did you ever have any interaction with her at E? Did you ever? Um, occasionally, I would see her in the elevator. Really? Yes. Did you that, feel? About it. Huh? Cop a feel. And I, I, I did get her, I did get uh, a friend. I did get a couple friends into the show once. Did you cop a feel? Just to say you did. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't? Right. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I my, my my office is in my office is in the bowels of E. So literally, if, as I often say, if you walk by my office, you're lost because nobody can find my office. It is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is so in steerage, I can't even tell you. So one morning, I'm sitting in my office, of course, in the middle of nowhere because no one ever visits me in my yeah. office because my office is nowhere. And who walks in? Joan Rivers. Really? Down the hall. Yeah. And it was like an alien landed because nobody visits me anyway. And nobody can find my office if they, if, if they wanted to visit me. So for some reason, Joan Rivers is walking right by my office. Well, there you so go. So she walks by my office. She says, hello, E people. And then she walks by. And then I guess she was looking for a conference room that was like down the hall. <laughs> but uh, it was very strange seeing Joan Rivers walk uh, by my office. All right. It's more here. The, this when the, when the Heart Call, When Calls the Heart oh, series. The, see, the way they say it, it's Damn. so artistic. I know. When Calls well, this is from the the, the Janet Oakey. This is from the Janet Oakey novel, which uh, has inspired endless uh, goopy, sloppy, weepy, romanticy Hallmark Channel uh, movies. Uh, from this, uh, When Calls the Heart, uh, all of them produced by Michael Landon Jr. This is Heart and Soul, 
And uh, Lori Laughlin, I kind of forgot that she even existed. She does, oh, you know what? Back in the day, ageless. she's ageless. Delicious. She's cool. I know. Right? Back in the day, oh, oh yeah, wonderful. Oh yeah. Jack Wagner, terrific. Always wonderful. Love him too. Um, so yeah, this this just maintains the uh, the ongoing. It just it just hits all of those uh, all those beats that these things keep keep hitting. I you know it's the same deal over and over. This is from Shout Factory. But, uh, you know, bravo, Lori Laughlin. Glad that she's still around. And, I mean, she's, you know, I looked up her age. I'm not going to say it on the show, but I, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's, there's just no way. She really is. She's, she's lovely. She deserves a better career than she has right now. I'm lovely. Yeah. Season five of Workaholics is now on uh, Blu-ray. This is, this is the show, uh, the Comedy Central show, that features uh, these guys from the uh, mail-order comedy comedy troupe. And they work at a telemarketing company. They get into all sorts of wacky adventures. It's a little like um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where it feels like this weird indie off-the-reservation type comedy. Um, this one, though, is pretty It's pretty out there. It's, yeah. The Blu-ray's uncensored. There's a lot of stuff that might mildly offend the easily offendable, like when they, uh, the, the guys crash a funeral. Um, but there's deleted scenes. There's bloopers. Fans will love that. Um, so there you go, Alcoholic Season 5. Not my favorite show. Uh, I, it, sometimes it tries a little too hard to be insane, but uh, people like it. All five right. seasons. Yeah, yeah, speaks yeah. The, five seasons speaks I? for itself. Who am I? I would never have greenlit it. That's just me. That's just me. Uh, so, Mark, once upon a time, there was a show called Young Hercules. Young Hercules. That's, did I, did I mention sounds, it was Young Hercules? Sounds terrible. It lasted 50 episodes. 50 episodes. And I, I, I heard this and I thought, are you, I, how did I never hear of Young Hercules? 50 episodes. What is this? And uh, this thing was actually, I, I, I don't know how I missed the, the fact that this thing even existed. It's very strange. Uh, this is from the late 90s. And uh, I can't remember what I was doing at the time, but uh, anytime. Anyway, the, you know who starred as Hercules? Oh, uh, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh, no. Uh, no. Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Uh, uh, Richard Chamberlain. Yeah, very young-looking Ryan Gosling. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But, you know, everybody's got to start somewhere. Johnny Depp started on uh, 21 Jump Street, Jump Street. So everybody's got to start somewhere. Uh, this thing was actually produced by Sam Raimi. And Robert Tappert, who's the genius behind Xena and uh, the other Hercules show, The Legendary Journeys. Uh, and somehow they thought that they'd take this uh, former Mickey Mouse Club guy who, you know, all of his cohorts were becoming pop stars at the time. And uh, let's turn him into uh, mythical Hercules. It's not good. It's really pretty terrible. But, um, you know, hey, it, it's, a, it's, it, it's a show, and he's on it, and it's a, bit of, it's a weird bit of television lore, and I'm sure the curious just won't care. So there you go. 50 episodes of Ryan Gosling as young Hercules. It's very strange. And then uh, we also have... The complete series of The Campbells on 12 Discs. Uh, this is a, a Western show that I was also completely unfamiliar with. Uh, essentially a doctor trying to, you know, help his family deal with uh, all of the various pitfalls that befall you in the, uh, the early 19th century. And uh, this is originally a Canadian show. I understand that it, was, it aired here at some point. Uh, this is 100 episodes. And uh, it's actually it's okay, um, better than uh, better than a lot of you know later uh, American Western stuff. Certainly, um, not as good as the '60s era stuff. You know, Rifleman and uh, Wild Wild West and Gunsmoke and Bonanza and all that stuff. So it's not certainly not in that vein. But I think it's better than like you know uh, Doctor Quinn, Medicine Woman, or any of that stuff. So. Uh, bravo to the Canadians for, you know, hanging on to their heritage and ours a little bit. This is from Timeless, who is releasing a lot of this really interesting stuff, uh, particularly the uh, Jerry Anderson stuff from the U.K., and uh, in this case, this is uh, some cool Canadian stuff. Groovy. Uh, wait, a couple I got. Um, back in the day, uh, there was a uh, book series uh, written by... Um, V.C. Andrews started with um, Flowers in the Attic and then uh, went on to a couple of sequels. The second sequel has been made into a movie called If There Be Thorns. 
And this thing is just horrible. You know, what, what actually pisses me off about this movie is that it was directed by Nancy Savoca. Remember Nancy Savoca? I do. She did. She did. She did uh, True Love, which was a big deal at Sundance that she year. She did True Love, but she also did uh, Dog Fight. Dog is it Dog uh, Fight? Dog. Yeah, Dog Fight. Dog Fight with the uh, with River Phoenix. That's right. And uh, Lily right. Lily Taylor. And so she's going to be a great really? little indie director. Yeah. Really. Now we're talking late eighties, early nineties, and now she's doing this crap. Anyway, it continues the story of the Dolan the Dolan Ganger family from Andrews's two novels. There's the Flowers in the Attic, which was a big deal at the time, and the sequel Petals on the Wind. So this is um, the sequel of There Be Thorns is with Heather Graham. And I gotta say, I just uh, I'm, I'm glad Nancy Zavok is getting work, but I just think this thing is just ridiculous. You know, they escape from the attic, and it, you know, pedals on the wind picked up after the escape from the attic, and then if there be thorns, uh, you know, continues the story. There's actually another sequel, which I assume they'll make into a movie too, called Seeds Seeds of Yesterday. But until then, you got this piece of crap. This really has nothing going for it. I'm just really surprised that uh, it's so cheesy. But yeah, what are you gonna say? Nancy Zavok got work. Um, also, we have Street Outlaws. Now, um, I'm not a big fan of um, illegal street racing. In fact, uh, I think all these people who street race illegally should uh, die. Um, but Discovery has done a show about them, and uh, yeah, they they go they go out after midnight and they hit these streets in these you know these wide streets in these rural areas. Sometimes they're empty streets in more citified areas, but still. Is you get a lot of douchebags who do this thing, a lot of a-holes who do this thing, and of course, douchebags and a-holes make great reality television personalities. So you get all that in Street Outlaws, two disc set, uh, eight episodes. There's that. Finally, I defy anybody to not only buy but care about the complete sixth season of Drop Dead Diva. Yeah. And at this point, what is the point? I don't know. No this idea. This is the uh, Lifetime show. And uh, this, it's about a, this. This she's a fat attorney. I know. Let's just and, say and she's she, a fat and attorney. She dies and she comes back. She's a fat attorney. Blah, blah, blah. She comes right. back. It's a yeah. I and don't. I I kind of. Margaret shows in it. That's all yeah. I can say. <laughs> and then we also have here the uh, the complete first season of the strain in this crazy collectible uh, limited edition collecting collector's package. Yeah. That features the head of the master. Wow. Darn right. So cool. Uh, if you haven't followed this show, Guillermo del Toro uh, is a producer on this thing. It's essentially one of these virus shows. It's, everything's about the zombies and the viruses now. Uh, but there's a virus that that's, uh, you know might contaminate the earth. Corey Stoll's the guy who's got to track it down for the Centers for Disease Control, which somehow the boring-ass Centers for Disease Control has become CSI in this thing. And uh, for what you know, it's like cross between CSI and X-Files at this point. It's very strange. Um, and uh, the this this guy's like the evil, creepy alien dude who's the author of this virus. Anyway, um, you know, I, I can't say I find the show all that terribly compelling. It's interesting. We'll see how it transpires, how it evolves in the future. A lot of extras on here, audio commentaries for certain episodes, deleted scenes, teasers and trailers and featurettes and all that stuff galore. Certainly a high-quality show, a lot of great production value. Uh, good-looking Blu-ray, nothing to be object to uh, object to here. It's a it's a beautiful collector set, especially if you want to get the the dude's big creepy noseless head. Nice thing to put on the shelf to scare children. Um, but I will I will just revisit the the fact that this thing uh, really was just beat up locally over its billboards when they had those billboards on promoting the premiere with that that worm crawling out of an eye. People complained and they freaked out and they had to pull them. I remember that. And, who but who the, complains about a billboard? But the funny thing is, is that the billboard for season two, right, is like a big snake thing coming out of a woman's mouth. Yeah. I mean, so the phallic one is okay. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> the, the one with the eye is too grotesque. I, it, go figure. I, I don't I don't understand people. I just don't. I don't I don't I I don't understand. And maybe this is just the cynicism of being a film critic and having to see everything. And just at a certain point. You're just so numb to everything that nothing really offends you except stupidity. But I just don't understand where people get the energy to, A, be offended by something, and B, actually make an effort to complain about it. I don't, I've never understood that. It's like, okay. People are bored. I, they, they, they go on just, comment boards on sites all over, and they just 
They look for things that they they, they look for a reason to call somebody racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, misogynistic, and so that they can they can register their outrage on the internet. I guess. I guess that's I how just, we roll. I guess that's how we roll now. And uh, real quickly, a lot of uh, UK stuff. A great little original BBC series here. Uh, the second season of it. Uh, from BFS, The Village, Series 2, which is right down that Downton Abbey vein. It is, uh, it, it, you know, it I just blows me away how many of these series I'm always discovering that I just wasn't aware of. And uh, this is terrific. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I, beautiful production value. Great cast, including Juliet Stevenson, who I always adore. Never get sick of watching her. Uh, created by the wonderful Peter Moffat, who uh, is just a great writer and a, and a great producer. And... Uh, it deals with the, the essentially the, uh, the 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 history of this village over roughly the same period of time that we're sort of dealing with in uh, in Downton Abbey, and in this case, uh, we're in the 1920s, just like on Downton Abbey, and uh, it's great. It's a it's a fun show. So that is the Village series two. We've also got Murdoch Mysteries, the movies, with the wonderful Cole Meany, who is ju- who just fantastic. I, I, I loved him on Star Trek. I, I, I miss Cole Meany on Star Trek, I have to yes, be honest. Yes, I do. Don't you? He's cool. He was great. Because he, he, he looked like just, just a great. doughy, pasty white fantastic. guy who looked like, you know, like an average dude. Well, these are, this is a series, a three-disc series of movies based on the uh, Murdoch uh, Mysteries novels. That's from Acorn. It's a lot of fun. Uh, then we also have a uh, also from Acorn New Worlds, which is uh, the stars Jamie Dornan, who is just becoming all kinds of a big deal. Uh, is, have they signed him up to play any kind of a Marvel hero yet? He's he's that handsome. He, he's, he's Although the, you know what he, he he was he's he was the he was not good in Fifty Shades of Grey. That guy he was terrible. No, no, was I know, but miscast. But, well, yeah, not and, good. And, and Smold, he's, he, he's the anti smoldering. And he's going to be in the sequel as well, but uh, you know, which is now from. His point of view is that the whole. Angle? Well, no, no, no. the uh, The sequel will be Fifty Shades Darker. There yeah. is a new novel that she just released. Yeah, whatever. That tells the story from his point of view. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, he, he, he's 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 due to be like a, a Marvel hero once this Fifty Shades stuff is out of the way and this thing's out of the way. I, I guarantee you, they're going to sign him up to be some kind of some kind of superhero. Um, or maybe replace somebody who they're going to retire because they got to start retiring. At these some people. point, look, Robert Downey Jr. is fifty years old. He's he is now. He's fifty. Yeah, yeah. So he can't do. You can have a sixty-year-old Iron, Iron Man. It's a it's a it's a burly suit. It'll hold up. Uh, anyway, so the uh, the uh, this is actually uh, kind of a, a cool seventeenth-century uh, um, intrigue of the uh, the court intrigues. Uh, that deals with the court of uh, King Charles II and uh, the rebels who are uh, fighting against him. Really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, obviously historically not that accurate, but it's got a, you know some featurettes and uh, deleted scene stuff, and that's all good. And uh, frankly, I think it's uh, it's really cool. So uh, it does a nice job of walking the line between his, uh, historicity and uh, pulpiness. So that's New Worlds on Blu-ray and DVD. I recommend it on the Blu-ray. David Morrissey, always a uh, fun actor, is in the uh, the really cool The Driver, which is also uh, you know pretty pretty top notch stuff. Um, this also features uh, Ian Hart and once again, Colmini. He shows plays up, the car. Shows up in everything. Uh, season two of A Place to Call Home is a, a kind of a nice Australian drama, a nice little Australian period thing from the 1950s, which just evokes the fact that the 1950s in Australia were kind of like the 1950s in the U.S. Amazing parallel histories. And then for people who love love joy, it is now out finally in a complete collection. Ian McShane, uh, probably the most wonderful thing he's ever done, where he's not just a wretched, horrible, evil... Uh, conniving person. Uh, this is a you know he's. Ba- it's basically an, uh, you know a, uh, a detective story in the world of antiques, and uh, it's people love it, especially fans of uh, if you're an Anglophile. This is all six series in one big spruced up box set. So what <coughs> other uh, what other jiggery pokery we talking about? <coughs> You all right? I've, yeah, I've been having allergies. May I talk about my allergies for a second? Uh, you know what? Would see as that, long see, as I had a hacking attack. See that gigantic pile of DVDs and Blu-rays? Yeah. Do you plan on getting to those today? We're going to try. 
Okay. That's all. That's all classic stuff. We got some good stuff in there. Um, yeah. So that's well. We're, we're getting to that. We'll get to that. Uh, no, I just want to say I've been having all kinds of allergy issues lately. Last week you probably heard it's still hanging hanging around. And at first it was I was just sneezing like crazy. Worst allergy attacks I've had. Total spring allergy attacks. Worst that I've had in 20 years. And then it must have just beaten my immune system up so badly. I wound up coming up with like a cold and a cough and the whole thing was terrible. Just terrible. Okay, let's talk about new movies, Mark. Let's do it. That's what we always, uh, that's what we're here for. Get Hard, wait, Get Hard's a new movie with Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Kevin Hart. I don't get it. Will Ferrell, though, I guess you can't blame him. He's getting a little bit older. He's trying to hitch himself onto the wagon of a younger up-and-coming comic. A lot of people really had a problem with the uh, with this. It's funny how politically correct everyone's gotten. Oh, it's with, really, the, with the gay humor? Whatever. You know, I, it's, it's comedy, folks. We're just relaxed. But isn't it amazing how like that stuff that stuff that would have just been like throwaway comedy ten years ago now everybody's just ooh. Yeah, we, like, we, oh we're, we're way too sensitive. It's just come on. You know, look when when it, when it comes to artistic expression, stand-up comedy. But, Movies, like, you should be able to say and do whatever you would nobody like. Nobody wants to laugh at themselves anymore. Everybody takes everything personally. It, it's you know what it is. It's let just, the it's, air out, man. It, it's not that they won't laugh at themselves. Is that is that they they're so sent they're. I don't even think people are really that sensitive. I just think that they just love being aggrieved. They people just love being able to say that. Oh my God, that offended me. That offended right. my sensibilities. Yeah. They people just love. I don't know why. I don't know what it yeah, is. Anyway. I mean. It's a cute concept. I, d- I just think uh, I don't know. It's, at some point, these don't these films just feel like, ooh, Kevin Hart's kind of on the up and coming. Let's pair him with Will Ferrell. What are they going to do together? I don't know. And it's like somebody cooks up an idea in about eighteen seconds, and then they're signed to the movie, and uh, you suddenly you're like a, a you know six weeks into pre-production, and people realize we forgot to get a script. It, it doesn't it feel like that. It happens. It does. Or they, they, they think, you know what? They'll, they'll, they'll ad lib their way out of it. Yeah. Well, you know what's absolutely amazing and what did not forget to have a script? Danny Collins. Did you see Danny Collins? I did not. Uh, Dan Fogelman, after you know much frustration in his career, uh, wrote and directed this passion project. And I got to tell you, man, this is a great movie. This is a really great movie. This was the first release from Bleecker Street, which is a new distributor. And there are a bunch of these new distributors. And, you know, uh, uh, A24. A24. Well, A24 has been around a few years, but there's, you know, Bleecker Street is one. Uh, uh, green. Uh, no, Green. What's, what's, the, what's the other one? It's not Green Street. It's uh, Green Penis? No, I'll think of it. Anyway, there's a bunch of them. But Bleecker Street really just killed it with this. I, I, I'm so glad they picked this up. It's so unbelievably good. One of the best things I've seen Al Pacino do in ages. And apparently that new, that new thing that he's in is great, too. I mean, he's just, uh, he's like on a late, late career resurgence, which I, I didn't see coming. I want him to do a Marvel superhero movie. I want him to play the scientist, the he, father. The new Iron Man. He could be the new Iron Man. He could replace Robert Downey Jr. Wouldn't that be great? Iron Grandpa. That would be, uh, imagine Al Pacino as Iron Man. What is, what the, I won't do the impression. It's Hoo-ah. Oh, that, that voice coming out of Iron Man. The villains would be totally thrown off. How did Al Pacino get inside Iron Man? I don't understand. How did Michael Corleone get inside Iron no, Man? No, here, here's what this is. This is, oh, this is so good. This is just great writing. I would encourage anybody who wants to know, who wants to see a movie that just where the screenplay just hums, and it doesn't feel overly constructed. It's not overwritten. It's not overly cute. You don't feel all these mechanical beats and reversals and like somebody just tacked a beat sheet and cards up on a, on, a, on a board where it just feels organic. Like this is just a totally great story, character-driven, just like a breeze. And, and it just pulls your heartstrings. It's so funny. It's so touching. It's so real. I can't believe it. Loosely based on a factual incident and then fictionalized around it. Um, Al Pacino basically plays a guy who, as a young man, was this, um, he was a huge pop star, and now he's an old dude. He's basically Neil Diamond. And he's, uh, he's, all he does is sing all of his stupid old tunes to old ladies, and uh, he's just, he's just a, he's a, a depressed old has-been with a you know, 20-something wife that he did, really doesn't care much about, and he's got a pile of money, but he's just, he's just self-destructive. He's just coasting, and he feels like he never really, like he betrayed his talents. And that's when 
he, his manager, played by um, uh, Christopher Plummer, his longtime manager, reveals to him that uh, John Lennon once wrote him a letter and basically said, you know, you're, you're the man, don't give up. And, uh, and, and it would have changed his life if he had seen that letter when it was written. But he didn't get it now until he's old. So now he's going to try to change his life. He's going to try to, to be the guy. He's going he's to do it. He's going to redeem himself. And um, I won't tell you where it goes from there, but Annette Benning shows up in this thing. Bobby Cannavale, amazing, phenomenal. Jennifer Garner, great little part. Um, where it goes from there is so wonderful, so touching, so heartwarming. I, this is my pick of the week. Danny Collins on Blu-ray and DVD. You got to see it. I love this movie. It's probably going to be a top ten film for me. Not a lot by way of bonuses, but uh, just featurette stuff. But it's just it's fantastic. It's a great movie. Cannot cannot get enough of this thing. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, Mark, did you see Kumiko? Who? Kumiko, Treasure no. Hunter. No. Did you see this? You didn't no. see this? No. Really? Well, why would I see that? Uh, because it's got a whole Fargo tie-in. Um, this is based on, based on an actual event. There was actually a Japanese woman who um, came to, and I don't think she went to Fargo, uh, but she wound up going to, like, uh, Michigan or Wisconsin, somewhere close, and she died, and they found her, like, frozen in the snow. And... Um, there was a, a an urban legend that grew up that emerged about this woman that she uh, had watched Fargo, and it wasn't true, of course, but that she'd watched Fargo and thought it was real and went looking for the money that was buried in Fargo. She thought the movie was like a treasure map. So uh, essentially, director David Zellner, uh, who has made a bunch of movies with his brother uh, Nathan, they've been making like little low budget movies for years. These things have just been they've gotten no traction. Uh, but they threw it all at this movie, which is a really competent movie about a Jap- this that sort of fix- fictionalizes this event. This woman who watches Fargo and thinks that she's got to go get the treasure, and she goes and she, you know, becomes like this. It's this weird odyssey through the American landscape, looking for the treasure in the, from the movie Fargo, and uh, really interesting, uh, incredibly well made. It was kind of a big deal at Sundance, and I, I totally recommend this to people. I I think it's just a Cool, weird, quirky, little, unusual film, and a great, a great way for these guys to break out. David Zellner and Nathan Zellner, and David Zellner, the director, is actually in the film. He plays a, a cop in the film, so a uh, nice little cameo there. I recommend it. Oh uh, wait, what I don't recommend is the gunman uh, Pierre Morel, the director who reinvigorated uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson's career, which we talked about last week. Tries to do the same thing for Sean Penn, and uh, does not work at all. This thing is just a bit of a mess. I think part of it too is that look, I. <laughs> like I, I love Sean Penn as much as the next guy, but he is just at least Liam Neeson looked like a dad when he goes and saves his daughter. You believe it, you love it. Oh. Sean Penn is just a humorless, just you know, dead I, cold fish in I, this kind of movie. This thing's uninspired. I, and, yes, I, I kind of so I, I enjoy the action moments in the film, but it really is just all contrived to, to hell. I mean, Sean Penn makes it credible. He makes it a little believable. But, man, it just, it's all so contrived. And then the, 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 the bullfighting stuff. It's, uh, you know, I saw, th- I saw this with Tim. <laughs> and, and it was poor Tim, who knows that they haven't actually had bullfighting in Barcelona for years. He just couldn't get over that. He's like, they don't bullfight in Barcelona anymore. What are they, what are they doing? This is not. This is wrong. And for and for like the last half hour of the movie, he just could not get over that. He was so stuck on that. Yeah, this thing is just kind of a misfire. So I'm sure Sean Penn was hoping that some of that uh, taken magic would rub off on him. No, and uh, it is not. It has not. Sorry. Not really. Uh, We got a thing here called uh, Alton and Kenya's outrageous wedding. Uh, Oh, it may take a miracle to pull off their big day. Worst tagline ever. What's wrong with them? Uh, This is one other one of those straight-to-video things that is targeted primarily at, uh, at you know, home for, for inner-city black home family audiences, family viewing, uh, trying to sort of piggyback and ride the coattails of uh, Tyler Perry and, and you know, <coughs> excuse me, and my allergies and my cough. Uh, the problem here is... Mm. Tyler Perry pioneered these audiences, and everybody who thinks that they can just sort of waltz in and uh, and make a movie that appeals to the same people for the same reasons, they're kind of missing 
the boat. They're missing the point. They're missing the fact that he really, really laid the groundwork for a long time. But anyway, um, look, it's a movie about the craziness that goes on around a wedding. We've seen it with black families, white families, many times. It is what it is. It's, you know, there's been worse, but there it is. It's from level 33. Uh, Alton and Kenya's Outrageous Wedding. Wait, I'm a big fan of Noah Baumbach. I admit it. Yep. Squid and the Whale was pretty much my life story at the time. Now we have While We're Young. This one, uh, Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts play a married couple. They're both in their 40s. And they meet this uh, freewheeling uh, 20-something couple played by uh, um, Adam Driver and Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried. Is that what it is? I can never get that right. Um, So like a lot of Bumbach films, it is at least attempts to be very honest about modern relationships and, and modern life. It's got some poignant stuff in it. It's, I, you know, I'm watching the movie wondering what take Bombach is going for. Is he going to make it a harangue against 20-somethings who just are rudderless and talk on their phone all the time? Or is he going to make it a harangue against 40-somethings who are starting to check out of pop culture and just sort of go into their little cocoon of getting older and dying? And uh, in a way, he sort of does it in, in the middle. I, I think that Bombach definitely has issues with uh, the 20-something generation uh, in terms of their manipulativeness and their narcissism. Should I watch uh, this? Because you know how I feel about Bombach. I'm, I'm, not, well, I'm not on the bandwagon. But, if you're not but, on the bandwagon, this is not going to help you. It's not. This will okay. not put you on the bandwagon. Okay. But here's the thing. Since, since you're a crusty, miserable old man, yeah. you might like some of the knuckle-slapping that happens, knuckle-rapping. Okay. Yeah. That happens in this film because they kind of because the uh, driver and Seyfried characters are these young kids and they live their little bohemian life and they're so proud of it and they just let it all hang out and uh, he Bomba kind of comes down on that a little bit you know as if these guys have to straighten themselves out just a little bit they can be freewheeling but you got to take life a little bit seriously so I think you might kind of enjoy that. Uh, so I'd go for it. It's, it's a good film. Right. Uh, now Clive Owen and Morgan Freeman uh, star in Last Nights. Now, last night... Oh, this is a dreadful movie. What? It's really bad. Oh. No, it is. It's just... It's, it, it's, it's like nouveau medievalism, and nobody ever, it's, it, nobody ever gets these things right. It's, it's unfortunate to see them do it, especially, you know, Morgan Freeman doing this. I, he just, he's just taking paychecks these days. Well, you know what? I gotta, I gotta say, I, I feel bad for Clive Owen. I mean, Clive Owen had a bit there where he was like the man. There was a moment. There was a moment, yeah. but now he can't really extend that moment. That moment is unextendable. He's he's hard to cast, though. You know, it all starts. He's not with, a romantic leading no. man. He's not really an action guy. No, it's he, Croupier sort of put him, him on the map, and and his 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 window was when he was in theory like in the runoff against Daniel Craig to be the new Bond. And had he been the new Bond, it would be a whole different story, you know. Um, but uh, he didn't get it. So Daniel Craig got it, and we're, we are where we are. Um, the Frontier is filmed by Matthew Rabinowitz, which is uh, actually a pretty good film. This is from Virgil Films. A uh, good little indie uh, about a guy who's uh, you know, a retired professor and activist uh, trying to get in touch with his son, who he hasn't seen forever, and um, it's essentially, uh, uh, you know, about the, the evolution of that relationship, that estranged relationship, and uh, fill in the blanks and, you know, how they come back together again. We've seen this thing before, but never quite this way. There's a certain kind of, um, I don't want to say lack of romanticism about it, uh, but it doesn't... Um, it's it's sort of it. Here's the thing. It what makes this interesting is what they don't do. I'm glad that they don't do a lot of the more sentimental stuff, and that it just, in some sense, it feels a little more real. So I uh, I appreciated that. That was a, a little bit of a big deal at South by Southwest, and then uh, another cool little indie, Spike Island from uh, Level Thirty Three as well. Uh, Spike Island is, uh, stars um, Amelia Clark, who a lot of people people know from uh, Game of Thrones, and, and the new Terminator film, and the new Terminator film. And she's uh, she's lovely, and she uh, it's it's about a you know a band that wants to sort of uh, give a mixtape, an audition tape to their idol, uh, which is the Stone Roses, and uh, they uh, it's their odyssey and all the all that transpires in the on the journey there. Um, I'm not going to compare it to. Uh, 
to almost famous, but it had, there are moments where it felt a little bit almost famousy. So, and the music's good, and it's uh, it's well put together. So uh, that's another successful little indie. And Mark, this is the big deal of the week. The big deal of the week. Big what deal is of it? Week. Well, we got actually we got a couple. Uh, documentary wise, uh, I am Evil Knievel on Blu-ray. People do not understand Evil Knievel today. They just don't. He's all you know, the, the, Evil Knievel. I mean, what do you say? Is he the jackass of his time? He, he, not even. I mean, the, we don't have daredevils anymore. No. We just don't. I mean, that was a big deal. I remember when, when he was doing all that stuff, and I was in, I was in school, and he was going to... Jump Snake stay, Mountain? Stay, Snake River. Snake he was going to jump Snake River with that rocket thing. And we were just like, are you kidding me? Like, uh, it's one thing with a car and a motorcycle and all that. It was an event. When he had a new stunt, event. it was an event. It was a big deal. We don't have people who do that no. anymore. Nobody does that. It's just, it was, a, it was a moment in time. It was just a different, a different zeitgeist. Anyway, this, this documentary totally captures that. It just it takes me back, and it just it, it, it puts you right in that period of time. This was made for Spike uh, on television and uh, does a great job of it. It just it totally resurrects that period in time, which, of course, is directly tied to that infamous episode of Happy Days that gave us the term jumping the shark, which people use today without even knowing where it comes from. It's crazy. But in any case, here's the other big deal, Mark. People have been wanting this forever. We've gotten emails about this. It is finally here on Blu-ray. Penelope Spheris, the complete collection of... The Decline of Western Civilization. There it is. It's right there. All, we're, we're, we're all in now. Um, they That's have, a nice-looking set. It's a great set, man. Uh, you know, I did not fully appreciate the first film when it was released. I just kind of thought, you know, I, I mean, Spheris, I, I knew a bit about her, obviously, because I went to UCLA Film School. She was a UCLA alum, and, you know, all the teachers there always like to sort of uh, uh, drop the names of famous alums that came out just a few years earlier. And uh, she made the, the first decline of Western civilization in 1981, Right around the time that she had uh, she had graduated, I was there about a decade later, so it was close enough that uh, she's still kind of a big name there. And I remember thinking, well, you know, uh, didn't didn't impress me quite so much. Part two, the metal years, didn't really succeed very well, and a lot of people just completely missed uh, part three, which came out in 1998. Um, but re- revisiting these things, this is quite a saga. I mean, it really is. In hindsight, I have a, great, a lot more appreciation for this than I ever did. Oh, it's great. My, my, my only thing with the, with the movies, although they are great, is that it wasn't my favorite music, like Black Flag, Circle no, Jerks. No. I mean, X is cool, but The Germs, you know, Alice Bag Band, those were not my favorite bands growing up. Mine it was here. like obnoxious music to me at the time. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm older, I, I have a more sophisticated well, because palette, when you're, I appreciate it more. At the time, you're in the middle of it, and you're like, I hate this music, I don't like these people, it's, in, it's the now. After that, I look at it, there's some nostalgia, and I begin to understand the cultural context a little better, and it, they're, they're great films, they're great films, and I'd, I'd love for her to do this again, this kind of stuff again, rather than all that junk that she was doing, all those little, little rascals or whatever that was that she was directing for the studios. Uh, brand new scans of all of these films in 2K. They're gorgeous, fantastic, never look better. Uh, audio com- commentary by Penelope Spheris, which is great. Uh, also an additional audio commentary by Dave Grohl, which is also great. And uh, interviews and extra footage and trailers and just gobs and gobs and gobs of stuff that, uh, that makes this essential, whether you like the music or not. It's really, really good. All right, um... Mark, let's get into this. Uh, let's wrap the show out with this giant pile of um, of classic movies. Okay, if you say wrap the show out with that giant pile, you're pretty much saying let's start the show over again. Uh, well, that's a giant pile. You know what? It's a giant pile, but some of this stuff can go pretty quickly. So uh, hang on. I should time you. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna hold on. You know why don't why don't let's do this? I'm gonna I'm gonna burn through. Uh, okay, let's do let's do the uh, the Kino and the Criterion stuff first. I'll just I'll just kill the criteria the Kino stuff because this is all catalog stuff. Um, this is on, the ongoing Kino stuff from the uh, their Studio Classics line, which is all licensed from 20th Century Fox and MGM, uh, which means in in the case of MGM, oftentimes a lot of it is Orion and uh, UA stuff. Uh, this one is Harry in Your Pocket. Um, a James Coburn film with uh, Michael Saras and Trish Vanderveer and Walter Pidgeon that is 
kind of not that great. This is sort of cheesy early 70s. Um, it's, you know, it, intrigue, con man stuff. Uh, James Coburn plays pickpocket. It, it dates very poorly, not well shot. It's got that really ugly 70s look to it. Uh, Bank Shot with George C. Scott is another film from the same era that I was once fond of, and coming back to it, it dates really poorly as well. Uh, the only thing that's nice about this is Bob Balaban. I just always love seeing Bob Balaban, especially in stuff in the 70s. But, um, you know, as a, as a crime film, Bank Shot, not as good now, doesn't date well. Needful Things with Ed Harris, Max von Sydow, and Bonnie Bedelia. Um, from uh, 1993 was, uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, it, it, it didn't, really, didn't really catch fire at the time. Uh, okay film directed by Fraser Heston, Charlton Heston's son, who has done, you know, a number of really amateurish things. I don't want to say it's nepotism, but it kind of is. Um, he has a commentary here for those who care. Uh, one of the one of the weaker adaptations of Stephen King novels from a time when they were just really really running running dry, and um, let's see some good Michel Legrand music in Cops and Robbers with Cliff Gorman and Joseph Bologna. That's about all that's really good in this. This is another early '70s film that doesn't date too well. And then lastly here, this is the one that I kind of recommend. Um, in the coming weeks, we are going to be talking about the uh, the documentary about the disastrously failed uh, Marlon Brando uh, Island of Dr. Moreau, which I have some interesting anecdotes about. But for my money, one of the more interesting, uh, though not necessarily good, adaptations of the Island of Dr. Moreau is from 1977, uh, which is the one with Burt Lancaster and Michael York. Uh, I saw this at the time. It came. It had the misfortune of coming out the same year as Star Wars, so nobody really paid attention to it. But you know what? It's not bad. Um, it's not good, but it's not bad. It's, it's got some interesting angles to it. Uh, produced by Sam Arkoff, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and, uh, and being in his house and scaring him because I got too close to the uh, Picasso vase. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a movie that kind of stitches the 70s together with the 80s, uh, it has some, some kitschy insights. So one of the last uh, interesting films produced by Samuel Arkoff. And that's it for our Kino Studio Classic line today. Uh, we got some uh, criterion goodness for you. Let's start with Five Easy Pieces, Wade. Now, where do you want your chicken salad, Wade? Gosh, it's a good movie. Where there's do you a movie want that there's a movie that dates really well. Your chicken salad. Yeah. You know what we mean. Check out Five Easy Pieces. Yeah. Jack Nicholson nominated for an Oscar for this thing. This is from uh, what year is this? It's from 1970. Uh, Jack Nicholson. He had already done Easy Rider. Now here, directed by Bob Rafelson. He plays this oil rigger who goes to visit his dying father with his pregnant girlfriend. Tagging along, the pregnant girlfriend played by Karen Black, uh, who was also nominated for a uh, for an Oscar. This is an interesting film. It's very much of its time. Although, as Wade says, the characters uh, the characters do hold up. The story does hold up, but it's very much a Vietnam era kind of story of rootless kids and they're and, and you know giving up their you know because in the film Nicholson is like his character is a piano prodigy. Yeah, but he gives it all up to work on an oil rig. Yep. in some rootless existence. So it's very much. About uh, it's about that time, that generation, giving up the, you know, the, uh, the 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 wealth of the upper middle class life and going off and discovering themselves, whatnot and so forth. So that's five easy pieces. It's a great film. It totally holds up. Once again, uh, Criterion they uh, they slam dunk the extras. Audio commentary by Bob Rafelson. A couple documentaries, um, and uh, yeah, good stuff. Another uh, uh, definitely a couple documentaries. Audio excerpts from a uh, AFI interview with Rafelson. And uh, an essay by Ken Jones that I always enjoy reading. Next, we have Valerie and her Week of Wonders. I was not familiar with this film when I, uh, when I uh, saw this uh, come onto my desk, but uh, it's pretty interesting. It's from 1970. It's a short film. It's only uh, 70 minutes long. It's from Czechoslovakia, and, or the former Czechoslovakia. And it's about this, uh, this, it's sort of this like psychosexual story about this woman who deals, who, interacts with vampires and witches and in this daydream that she lives in. It's kind of a weird, non-linear, kind of a fairy tale. So it's a cool little movie, a funky little movie. Uh, it's got a lot of great imagery in it. Um, you know, it's got a really cool score. Uh, somehow Criterion found a whole bunch of extras for this thing, including a couple early shorts from the director of the film. This is all in the late uh, 50s, early 60s. 
some new interviews with uh, a film scholar and some of the actors from 2006. And, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Valerie and her Week of Wonders, definitely a, it's a bit adventurous, but if you're into that stuff, uh, I think it'll be uh, rewarding for you. Also, we have, ladies and gentlemen, three films featuring Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn. This is finally on Blu-ray. We have My Dinner with Andre, Vanya on 42nd Street, and A Master Builder. Most famous film here is going to be My Dinner with Andre. This was notable because the movie is essentially two people eating dinner. I so didn't really care for that film at the time. I have I love uh, Louis Mal. I've grown to appreciate my dinner with Andre. Uh, Vanya on Forty Second Street. I just I, I just, just fills my fills my mind with murder. I I don't particularly care for Uncle Vanya. I can tolerate it, but in this case, a bunch of people sitting around, uh, basically just doing a rehearsal with handheld camera capturing them doing that rehearsal on a completely undecorated stage. And Andre Gregory sitting by really pretentiously, just watching them like a, like a total twit in a chair. I just want to slap someone. That I I know people love it, but I just don't get that film at all. Well, um, well, Master Builder and Uncle Vine. You know, they, you know what they remind me of? They remind me of um, Lars von Trier's. Uh, you know the yeah, movies where he Dogtown. He, he, Dogtown. Yeah. Or Dogville. Dogville. Thank reminds you. Reminds me of that. Yeah. You yeah. know, so if you've seen I, Dogville and you like that, you might actually like. I guess. Uh, Vanya and a master I mean, builder. I, I respect much of what Louis Mal does here, but man, Andre Andre is just so pretentious. He just represents that thing that drives you crazy. It's just, I don't know. Anyway, uh, a couple other uh, criterions here that are hugely awesome. Uh, the first one is The Bridge, which is a, uh, an Oscar-nominated German film from 1959. Uh, really big deal at the time. Um, if you, if you haven't seen this, it's sort of disappeared. And I'm sort of amazed that Criterion and Janus Films were able to resurrect this thing because it's just, it, it's it completely fallen off the, the radar. It's, you know, one three seven aspect ratio. It's a very unusual film, and especially one to put on Blu-ray. But, um, wow, really, really impressive stuff. Volker Schlondorf, uh, who did not direct it, by the way. Bernard Wicke directed it. But Volker Schlondorf is interviewed about the film's impact at the time, because it's sort of a, a precursor to the new German cinema, of which he and Fassbender and, and Herzog were all, and Wim Wenders, you know, they were sort of the ones who carried that torch. And this is like a precursor to it. And it's very interesting what he has to say about it. There's also a 1989 interview with Bernard Wicke, uh, and, you know, excerpts from a, uh, a 2007 documentary, not the whole documentary. The, but it, honestly, it's a, the, the film itself is really, really interesting. A powerful uh, post-war, anti-war statement film uh, about these teenage boys who essentially pre, it's, it's the, everything that precedes them becoming soldiers. And um, it's, really, it's just really interesting. Um, it's, it's one of the most interesting films about the, the soldier psychology that uh, I think has ever been made. And then lastly, on the Criterion front, is The Fisher King, which, uh, you know, not my favorite Terry Gilliam film, but uh, certainly one that a lot of people are fond of. A, this is one of the films, I mean, you know, everyone involved in this is just a powerhouse film. Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges both just completely kill it. Great score by George Fenton. Uh, Richard Legravenis just put himself completely on the map with this very original script. And then uh, two power producers in Linda Obst and Deborah Hill. Um, you know, this this is one of the last kind of real, you know, interesting producer-driven, auteur-directed, um, all-around, you know, quality Oscar packages that a major studio financed and distributed. And it's, it's you know, 1991, man. That was 24 years ago. And it blows my mind that that was 24 years ago. But uh, crazy. Anyway, uh, so that's the Fisher King, and uh, you know, TriStar is kind of resurrected now as well. So this is the Terry Gilliam-approved Fisher King on Blu-ray from Criterion. Now I feel bad for um, I feel bad for uh, the good folks over at Paramount because they thought to themselves, or Warner Brothers actually, Warner Home Video, because they thought to themselves, War- Warner's releasing it, but yeah, yeah it's Paramount film. But they thought to themselves, Cameron Crowe's got a new film coming out. It's called Aloha. It's going to be a big hit. Why don't we piggyback on that by releasing Vanilla Sky on Blu-ray? With its alternate ending. With its alternate ending. Which isn't very good either. Now, so what we have is we have a new Cameron Crowe film, which was a piece of S that everybody hated. So really, 
the Vanilla Sky Blu-ray gets no boost from that. In fact, it probably got dinged because Cameron Crowe's reputation at this point is really in the dumps. Yeah, it's just that so guy sad. can just not put it together. And by the way, I think that Vanilla Sky is just a confused mess. I was just, I just had no. Was, well, the original, look, the original was great. Spanish. Open your film, eyes. Open your eyes is wonderful, and Penelope Cruz is great in it. It's the film that that uh, you know sort of also put her on the map, other than Bella Pac, but. Um, I don't know what they were thinking. He's the. It's just. It shouldn't have been remade. He was the wrong director, and it just doesn't work. It does not work. Good cast, though. I mean, look, can't beat Tom Cruise. I love Tom Cruise. I defend Tom Cruise, but and Kurt Russell's in this. Penelope Cruz is in this. Uh, yeah, and Cameron Diaz. But it's just a just a big mess. I, this was really poorly received. It was. You know, he's become like the M Night Shyamalan of. Uh, uh, it's like it's he, he just keeps getting strike after strike after strike, and yet somehow keeps and, making movies. And I have a theory about that too, which kind of you know it gets into personal matters. But I have a theory too that you know things just after the divorce, uh, things just really went south. Uh, you know, his it sort of it corresponds to the time that the twins were born, and then they got divorced. And I think I think just something about be, having to be domestic all of a sudden, fatherhood and all that. I think he just cracked. Wait, no, 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 no. What? You're, no, we have to bookend the show with, with, the, with the James Horner score. So, so make sure that the last one you talk about is the movie with the James fine. Horner score. Very good. We'll do that. Uh, really quickly, a couple of really cool Blu-rays. Film Movement has never released a Blu-ray before, but they've released a Blu-ray. Film Movement, we love the people at Film Movement. It's a great uh, movie of the month club kind of thing. And they now have a line on Film Movement classics, and they have released Peter Greenaway's The Pillow Book. Uh, with Vivian Wu and Ewan McGregor. Very sexually explicit, uh, very controversial at the time. Um, and, you know, Peter Greenaway is an acquired taste. You just either you love him or you Where hate him. Where is the cook, the thief, the wife, Everyone the wants lover. to know. Where is it? In the meantime, you got to settle for the pillow book. And uh, it, is, it is not one of my favorite films, but I will say this. Peter Greenaway's films look good. They've always been well shot. And this is one hell of a gorgeous-looking Blu-ray. Uh, Film Movement definitely makes their their foray into the world of Blu-rays with a bang. They do a beautiful job. I cannot wait for some of their other stuff to, especially in this classics line, to start making it to Blu-ray. This is just absolutely first-rate all around. Also, great Peter Greenaway commentary and uh, an essay in here. Greenaway is an interesting commentary. I'll just tell you that. When you listen to it, you'll understand. And then uh, before we get to the last thing, Flickr Alley, for fans of 3D has released 3D rarities and a collection of 22 restored, very rare 3D films, uh, which come from the 3D film archive. And uh, it, it, this actually, you may not realize this, this is the 100th anniversary of 3D films. Like 3D was introduced about 100 years ago. So in honor of that, you just have all of these really interesting kind of uh, peculiarities and rarities and it's, there's all kinds of different stuff going on here. I mean, it's all the way back to 1915. Uh, it's, it, it just takes you through the entire history of 3D in the most fascinating way. Uh, you, you obviously need to have a 3D uh, television and a 3D-capable Blu-ray player. Uh, you need all of that stuff and, uh, you know, the 3D glasses. But it, uh, it, you don't have to have all that. You can watch this stuff in 2D if it, if it gives you a headache like it usually does me. I don't care for 3D, but as a an archival, uh, an artifactive, uh, artifactual, I guess is the better word, an artifactual release, um, this is essential. It gives you, a, it really lets you see the history and the evolution of 3D through these novelty films. And uh, I didn't know that our, any of this stuff really existed. So for me, it was just House of Wax, and you know, that was it. But nope, not at all. And it's gorgeous, wonderful recreate, uh, restoration here. A Flickr Alley kills it. It is a beautiful Blu-ray, first rate through and through. All right, Wade, we're going to wrap it out with a film I really liked as a kid called Wolfen. This is uh, Albert. Mentioned this last week. Yes, this is uh, Albert Finney and uh, directed by Michael Wadley. Who a, a Warner Archive Blu-ray, yes. another one of their rare releases. So Michael Wadley, he directs Woodstock, the Woodstock documentary, and then Wolfen. Who knew? Anyway, my, uh, Albert Finney plays a, a New York City detective. There's a bunch of uh, killings going on in the city. Turns out that they're being done by wolves, but they're not just any wolves. Now, if this movie was made today, they'd be like, you know, they'd be like, you know, uh, supernatural crazy wolves of like the Twilight series. Turns out that these wolves are, I won't give it away, but they are a little of a higher evolutionary 
position than humans. They exist, they're like spirit wolves. They interact with the Native American Indians who still occupy parts of New York, and they protect their territory from, let's say, us, because as um, Edward James almost says in the movie, to them, you are the savage. I remember that, what he said in the movie. It's cool. <laughs> it is cool. Uh, music by James Horner. Also, this is, uh, features Gregory Hines. If you are uh, a fan of 80s films like I am, you know Gregory Hines. You like Gregory Hines. He was very cool. He uh, died way too young. Anyway, Wolfen is uh, one of my favorite uh, kind of our little horror films uh, of my childhood. I would definitely check that out. Kind of was a big wolf moment, you know. It, there was Wolfen and uh, American Werewolf in London and uh, The Howling. It was, like, it was like a wolf moment. Well, just like we were having a, a vampire moment, then a zombie moment. Yeah, but it was like it was it was it was much more serious. It was all you know, uh, Dick Baker and Greg Bettine and all that makeup effect stuff. And everybody, it was it was like a, it was a cool moment, cool moment in time. All right, that's it. We will see you guys next week. Bye.